Hey, this is Carl Anderson. I'm the senior pastor of Sierra Bible Church, and this is our sermons podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that this message fills your soul with hope, helps you see the beauty of Jesus, and allows you to feel the love that God has for you. If you want more information about experiencing God's love for you personally, head over to sierrabible.org and contact one of our pastors. I love you, and I'm praying for you. Thank you, Diane. Thank you, Pastor Cassidy, for uh, the reminders. Thank you, Pastor Glenn and worship team for leading us in a time of song. Uh, If you have your Bible, please open to that passage, Hebrews chapter 7. We'll be working our way from verse 20 all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 28. Uh, My name is Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. If uh, you do not know me, uh, if you've been here as a guest over the course of the last two weeks, uh, you have not seen me teach here publicly um, because uh, we believe in a model of pastoral ministry that, that allows for even the pastors to be ministered to. And for the last two weeks, I have sat underneath the preaching of God's word, faithfully exposited by Pastor Glenn and Pastor Cassidy. I am not just a man who proclaims the word, but I am also a man who sits under the word and needs the word of God to minister to my soul. We are not lone ranger pastors lording over a church, but we are servants of Jesus in whom needs ministry from the Holy Spirit, from Jesus himself, in order for us to be healthy disciples. And we thank and appreciate each and every one of you that allows for us as, as your pastors to be healthy disciples ourselves. We, we love pastoral ministry. We love shepherding people. We love ministering the word of God so that you might know Christ and grow in Christ and share Christ with the world. And, and I'd just like to ask a question at the outset of the message here. Um, apart from Sierra Bible Church, or I should say, apart from the current pastors and elders staff at Sierra Bible Church, And I'm saying apart from that is because we're insecure and we don't want to be put into this category and we don't want to be put in the same uh, breath as some of these other people. But uh, apart from the current pastors and elders staff, I want you to think of a pastor who ministered to you deeply. I want you to think of potentially the most influential pastor that has come alongside of you and helped you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and share Christ with the world. Uh, If you have one of those pastors, would you go ahead and raise your hand? If you can think of, of someone in your past who has ministered the Word of God, thank you very much. Many, many people here have been ministered to by the the faithful proclamation of God's word, the shepherding of God's people through pastoral ministry. As I mentioned from the outset, we as pastors, we are are, are not men who are above being pastored. In fact, uh, one of them, and I have been blessed by many faithful men of God who have come alongside of me at various times during my life and during my ministry and who have ministered to me deeply. Uh, in fact, uh, one man of, of such accord was uh, the man that I served under as an associate pastor after I had graduated from seminary. 
I was just getting out of seminary. I was 26, 27 years old, and and I wanted to come underneath a seasoned pastor who could help me to know Christ, grow in Christ, and share Christ through pastoral ministry. And he, being a wise and older pastor, just allowed for me a lot of latitude to make a lot of mistakes. So there was one Sunday morning in which uh, I'm expositing the Word from a book of the Bible, from a book of the Bible, and, and I'm preaching my heart out. I, I'm thinking in the d- depths and the recesses of my soul, I am giving this everything that I possibly could. could. But I was 26 or 27 years old at the time, and uh, I had said some things that were potentially not the most wise, nor the most mature. I thought they were phenomenal. A certain portion of the congregation that I was serving at the time begged to differ. Over the course of the couple of weeks ensuing after that, uh, uh, a member of the congregation and the senior pastor and myself, we sat down in his office. And from the member of the congregation just outlined the certain things that I had said that had crossed their lines of sensitivity and had breached their conscience. It was a very brave and bold thing for them to do, to outline to their pastor, this, this is where you have crossed the line for me personally. I received their loving correction as a ministry from God, and I repented and I I said, I am sorry, I am learning, I am growing, I I am asking for your grace. And then at at the conclusion of that meeting, it was the first time that it had happened in my own ministry, but the the person across the table from me, whom I had loved and served for the previous year, year and a half, and whose family was an integral member, a part of the church, they said, directly into my eyes, we're leaving the church. And it's because of you. Now, we learn about these things in seminary. We see them in the Word of God, that, that these trials and tribulations and struggles happen within, within ministry, and we need to be prepared for them intellectually. But it was the first time that I had taken a direct shot to my soul on the basis of the things that I had done in ministry. And the pastor that I was serving alongside of, he was my supervisor. He was my boss. At that particular time, he could have said, you know what, I'm going to put your position before the elders and we potentially might vacate it because of what you've done. But in that moment, he did not choose that course of action. He stepped in front of the arrow and he interceded. He said, we hear your criticism. We know that it's valid. We love Carl. We want to see him grow and mature. We see him repentant and walking in godliness. The criticism I will take upon myself. And he interceded for me. In that moment, I got a picture, a a living, breathing picture of the intercession that brothers and sisters in Christ should have for one another. And we're going to see from the scriptures this morning that that act of intercession, that temporary act of intercession from one brother in Christ to another brother in Christ goes straight from here in earth directly up into the heavens to God himself. 
and reveals his heart for his people in a way that is profoundly transforming. Brothers and sisters, if you don't get anything out of the message other than this particular sentence, I want you to be leaving with this. In order for you to be a healthy disciple of Jesus, a healthy follower of Christ, we do not expect you to be perfect, but we do, and God does, expect you to receive his intercession to receive his ministry, to receive the good things that he has for you from heaven that are for your good and for his glory. Our text this morning unpacks this reality for us in three ways, through Jesus's high priestly ministry. It unpacks the oath of God. It unpacks the permanent priesthood of Jesus. And it unpacks his loving, perfect character of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would allow for us this morning to be people of intercession, not necessarily one for another, but to receive the intercession that you have for us as our merciful and faithful high priest. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as we've been walking through the book of Hebrews together, uh, we have noticed that in chapter 7, in chapter 7, the author goes into great detail, laboring in exposition of who Jesus is as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We saw at the very beginning of chapter 7 that this is better for us that Jesus is in the line of Melchizedek rather than in the line of Levi. Then as we saw last week, we saw that it's better for us because the line will not die, because it's not on the basis of a person's genealogical descent, but, they're a, but it, Jesus's priesthood is appointed on the basis of an indestructible life. The resurrection of Jesus, God has said over his son that God, that Jesus is a priest forever. This was prophesied all the way back in Psalm chapter 110 by David himself as he is penning this prophecy that the the, the Lord, we can see in verse 17, the Lord says of a coming one that you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Apart from, superior to, and a different type of high priest. And now he wants to continue that thought, verifying the oath that God has sworn to make, to give a priest for mankind, for his people, after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 20, this is where we pick up his argument, his exposition. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. They were made Levitical priests by the command of God, by the Torah of God. They were appointed on the basis of genealogical descent. God said, if you are in the tribe of Levi, particularly from Aaron, you are qualified potentially to become the high priest. 
It was just a command of God. But this one was made a priest with an oath with the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Let me ask a question. Is God free? It's not a trick question. Yes, God is free. God can do anything that God desires. That's one of the perks of being God. Yes, God is free. Can God change his mind if he so desires? Yes. In fact, we see as, as it unfolds in Scripture that there are times, like when Israel is wandering around in the wilderness, that, J- that God says to the people of Israel and says to them, you will uh, go into the promise, you will go into the promised land, but he changes his mind with a generation because of their faithlessness, and he does not allow them to go into the pro- uh, one generation to go into the promised land. It wasn't until the next generation that he goes into the promised land. Remember the book of Jonah, when God says, 40 more days and I will overturn Nineveh. And then the text tells us in Jonah that, that God relented of the disaster that he had intended because they had repented. And God, at the human level, changed his mind. And I know some of you theological neatniks out there are just going to be like, well, at the eternal level, there's an eternal decree of God that does not change. But at the human level, you can see that he kind of... Inter- Stop. We're not going there right now. We're just establishing the basis that God, to humanity, has the right to change his mind. In this case, God swears, puts an oath... The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. He's putting his very character and the trustworthiness of his own word on the line in this particular prophecy given by David in Psalm 110 verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. There will not be a day once this high priest has been appointed by an oath in which he will not be a high priest. He will be a high priest forever. How in the world is that going to work? How in the world is a human being going to continue serving as a high priest forever? Especially if our paradigm is only through our understanding of a high priesthood through the Levitical high priest, because there's built into the system a very difficult a very difficult thing that prevents perpetuity. It's called death. Could you imagine if the Lord had sworn? one particular high priest from Levi to be a priest forever. Could you imagine that? What would have happened if they got a bad one? It would have been a nightmare for the nation of Israel, would it not have been? Oh, great. Why did we get stuck with this guy forever? He forgets the goats. He forgets the lambs. He never reads Torah. He's not very empathetic. He doesn't listen He never visits me. He doesn't represent our nation very well or vision or values as a people. And he is just there as a high priest forever. 
In some cases, the death of the high priest, the people were like, thank goodness. May another take his office. We don't wish these things upon our pastors. But the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. And then he makes it explicit, the summary statement of what he means by this in verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. A better covenant. Built into the system of the Levitical priesthood was an understanding that death is going to stop a, a priest from administering that covenant. And there would be another priest that would need to come in and take over in his stead. But the very fact that Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven and serves before God on behalf of people as a high priest, God himself has sworn and will not change his mind due to the basis of Jesus's indestructible life because of his resurrection. He is the guarantor. The one who guarantees that he will administrate a better covenant. Now, when I was uh, 16 years old, I had saved for uh, around a year and a half to purchase a car. And this was back in the day where a couple thousand dollars could actually purchase a, a relatively stable and functioning car. Do anybody remember those days? Some of you are like, I remember the days where I would pay cash for my car. Well, being a 15 and 16-year-old, I, I worked hard during summers and, uh, and outside of school hours, and I did save a little bit of money, but I didn't have the greatest job, and I didn't always have the greatest savings, uh, savings habits. But I did save money to purchase a car when I turned 16 and got my driver's license. But I had an agreement, I had a covenant with my dad that if I saved a certain amount of money, he would put in the other half in order, to find, in order to fund the purchase of the first car. So after a little bit of, after a little bit of looking, after a little bit of look, looking around, we finally found a 1988 Dodge Daytona. To this day, still the best car I have ever owned. It needed just as much oil as it did gasoline. And I loved that thing. We used to, never mind, well, I digress. Now you imagine, as my dad and I are going to purchase the vehicle from a guy in uh, Wonder Lake whose name was Duck. I also learned, don't purchase a car from a man named Duck. Now imagine as we are going to as we are going to the to purchase to, to purchase a, a car to, to purchase the car with my dad that uh, some something tragic happens and uh, my dad loses all of his money. Do I have any guarantee that I am able to purchase the car from Duck? No, there's no guarantee. My guarantee is on the basis of what he has and half of what I've earned. Jesus is the fullness of the guarantee that before God, his people have an administrator of the covenant. Fully guaranteed, never going to stop, continually a high priest, permanently, forever. 
Brothers and sisters, do we understand what this means for us as God's people? It means that, that God will never go back on his promises in Christ. It means that he will never change his mind regarding Jesus' ministry to you. He will always continually, permanently be faithful to you as your representative before God. This church, it could change its mind about me as your pastor in a heartbeat. I could get hit by a bus and the administration of the church constitution and bylaws would need a successor. But Jesus, to you, is forever and eternally guaranteed to minister on your behalf before God. Perfectly secure, never in doubt. He remains your high priest forever. And brothers and sisters, this is one of the most powerful New Testament promises to every single believer in Christ. If you know this with your mind, you hear this read in his scriptures, and you don't allow for this to come down into your heart and allow for you to be ministered to by your perfect and eternal high priest, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you are missing out in the deepest amount of ministry possible to you this side of heaven. No overstatement there. If you don't allow for this truth to grip your mind and allow for it to go deep into your heart so that you might grow in relationships with other believers and you don't allow for that growth to overflow in sharing Christ with, with, with others, brothers and sisters, you are missing deeply the spiritual benefits that Christ has for you right now as your high priest. And watch how the author teases out the implications of this. Comparing it to the former administration, the former way in which the people of God related to God. Verse 23, the former priests were many in number. The first century Jewish historian Josephus recorded that from the time of Aaron, the, the first high priest, all the way into the destruction of the temple in AD 70, Josephus recorded there was 83 different high priests before God, before serving in the nation of Israel. One after another, after another. They were many in number. But none of them were permanent. All of them upon death needed to be replaced by their successor. Death, as I've already mentioned, is a built-in term limit for the Levitical high priests. And he teases this out. The former priests were many in number, verse 23, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But, verse 24, he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Brothers and sisters, you think the Easter story 
is just a nice, fun story about the resurrection. Oh, he's alive. It proves that Christianity is true. Let's go have some eggs and go home. Right? We kind of treat Easter like that, don't, do we not? But if you were placed in the first century, in the context of the believers who had seen him risen from the dead, in the context of the apostles who are, who are expounding upon the implications that Jesus has, in fact, risen from the dead, you would have seen a people who saw with their spiritual eyes that the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection is the dawn of a new era of a permanent high priest who serves before God in heaven forever. That he's never going to be voted out of office. He's never going to, be, he's never going to make a mistake in his priesthood so that the people suffer and say, oh man, why did Jesus have to go and do that? The high priesthood of Jesus that is based upon his resurrection and ascension due to the fact that he lived an indestructible life says that every Christian who puts their faith in Christ has an indestructible, perfect, and permanent high priest. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, always open, always there before God, always interceding on behalf of his people. You can almost hear and see the implications that he's about to tease out of how awesome the high priestly ministry of Jesus is and how his resurrection changes everything for Christians. Everything. Look at he, he, oh, he you can almost see it in the text. Like, he can't control himself for where he's going about the implications of the resurrection for every believer in Christ. He, he almost, he just is overflowing with, wait, if Jesus is risen from the dead, that means the Levitical priesthood is set aside because of a superior high priest that's not after the order of these Levitical priests that keep dying, but on the basis of an indestructible life, just like Melchizedek. Oh my goodness, this means Everything has changed. Verse 25. And consequently, he teases out the implications. And consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. The high priest, the high priest previously, they couldn't save to the uttermost. They had to continually offer more and more sacrifices, both for themselves and for the people they were ministering to. They couldn't save to the uttermost completely without fail. Consequently, he, because of his indestructible life, because of the resurrection, because he's permanently ministering on behalf of his people before God, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Then listen to this. Since he always, get this now, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Always. That pastor who interceded for me, who stuck his neck out on my behalf to cover over my immaturity and foolishness, will no longer be interceding for me. He was promoted to glory just earlier this week.
while I'm thankful for his ministry of interceding on my behalf. I don't need to hope that whoever takes his role in my life next will be as good as him. Because he was just a small picture. A broken, small, weak picture of the perfect intercession that Jesus has on my behalf always. Always. As I am preaching to you right now, Jesus is praying for each and every person in this room who is in Christ. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're facing. And right now, as I am speaking to you, Jesus Christ is in heaven with his hands held high, one held high and one on your back, praying for you, with you, always interceding on your behalf, always stepping in. Brothers and sisters, The reason I'm speaking so passionately on this particular spiritual topic this morning is because I have this deep burden that we think that Jesus is just another pastor. We think that he died on the cross and, and we're thankful for the forgiveness that he provides, but he just gives us forgiveness so that we can try harder next time. Brothers and sisters, the cross is empty. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. We do not serve a dead God. We serve a God who has given us a great high priest who represents us before God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, always open, never rejecting his people who draw near to him through faith by prayer to ask him for help in their time of need. There's never a time in which you cannot draw near to God and he will not be already interceding for you through his son. I want to speak on this so passionately for you to understand, not just with your mind as you see it written in God's word, but for it to have deep embed, be deeply embedded into your soul so that when you wake up at four in the, in the morning, and you are filled with fear and potentially even satanic attack with doubt and despair, when you're wondering where in the world is anybody who cares for me, you can know with certainty and a guarantee that you have a high priest who is pleading for you before God, who is begging for you before God to be right with him and to know that he is with you spiritually by his spirit in the dark moments of the night. 
At all times, he makes intercession for those he serves before God. The author closes the chapter in verses 26 through 28, just glorying in the truth of what this, uh, of what the character of the high priest who serves us. Verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Have there ever been the times where you're just questioning, like, I don't know if I should call this person about this particular issue, because if I tell them about it, like, I might be dragging them into a situation that they can't handle, and I might be putting that, putting too much on them, because they're just a human, and they probably can't handle all of this stuff that's happening in my life. Maybe I'm the only one who feels like that with other people not wanting to be too much of a burden and fearing that if I share something with, with certain people, potentially I might be putting temptation in their way. Am I the only one who feels like that? No? Okay, there are a couple others. Thank you for being Christians. The rest of you, I'll pray for you. What this truth tells us We have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. You're not going to bring anything before Jesus that he can't handle. He's already passed the test. He's already been tempted by everything imaginable and did not fail. And therefore, in his resurrection, he is ascended before the throne of God in a separate, distinct, entirely different category that he can help all of his people simultaneously by his spirit at any point with any burden that they might have. You're not going to give to God a burden that is going to tempt him to sin or be too much for him to handle because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Verse 27, just making this truth as explicit and clear as he possibly can. He has no need, like the high priest, to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins, because he's got some weakness in himself. And then for the sins of the people. Why? Because he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. One sacrifice of an indestructible life that was all that was a pure, unstained life that was all that was necessary for him to serve as a faithful high priest before God in heaven through his resurrection. Verse 28, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of oath, which came later than the law, I don't have enough time to tell you how awesome that is and how that blew my mind in seminary and opened up the word of God in entirely new ways for me, but that's for a different time came later than a law, than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So how will you know that this truth of Jesus' high priesthood is taking root inside of your heart? You will know as you approach the trials. You will know as you approach the certainty of your own mortality, the very certainty of your own death. Because if you do not have a high priest, 
one who is serving on your behalf, who has given his life for your sake to, to bring you into an eternal state with him forever. If you do not have that, that to look forward to upon death, you only have judgment. You only have your own sins, your own failures, your own weaknesses that you're carrying with you. And you do not have one who is carrying them on your behalf. The pastor that interceded for me as he was about to be promoted to glory wrote this down in particular for his family and his friends. This is what it looks like when the high priestly ministry of Jesus takes root in your heart and as you're facing impending death. You're able to say, maybe not articulately as, as he does, or maybe not in the same way, but you're able to confess these truths from your heart and mean it. He writes this. I wish for my family and friends to know that although I do not look forward to the process of dying, I do look forward to what death brings me in Christ. I believe emphatically that this is not the end. It is instead the beginning of which my life up until now has been but a preface. What awaits me is infinitely better by far than life now. I eagerly welcome it. We can only have the thought and genuinely mean it that it is better by far upon our death if we have a merciful and faithful high priest carrying all of our burdens now. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you have this kind of high priest, permanent and perfect, always interceding on your behalf, willing to carry whatever burden you put before him. If you are in this room and you do not know Christ, he is working actively right now to draw you to himself to show you that this is what he desires, how he desires to serve you now and forever. Whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, all of us are called to receive the ministry of Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the permanent intercession on our behalf that I can't outpray you. I can't outpastor you. I can't carry the burdens of my brothers and sisters that you already have carried on the cross. But I do, out of joy and response to your amazing ministry to me, I do have the joy of being able to show people just a, a glimpse, a foretaste of your eternal love for your people. God, I, I thank you for the faithful people in my life who have interceded on my behalf, who have shown me a glimpse of you. And God, I, I pray that we as a people would be able to receive your ministry deep inside of our hearts, so that we might be those types of people for others. God, we are genuinely poor 
spiritually and powerless before you. And we ask God, just as we close out this service, that you would be deeply ministering to the people in this room. That you would be comforting us with these eternal truths that that you are a priest forever. You're ministering for us forever. That we do not need to doubt the sufficiency of your sacrifice or the intensity of your care. But it is always there permanently drawing us closer to yourself interceding on our behalf. And we pray, God, that we would be a people who draw near to you to see the the sufficiency of your permanent priesthood over us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.